welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. Let's pray and we'll get started. Father, we come before you as people that are in need. We are in need of hope. We are in need of faith. We are in need of joy, which is to say we're in need of you. And we pray, Lord, that as you have been so faithful to come and feed and meet with your people here, we pray, Lord, come again. Come again in a special way you do as we gather, Lord. This is a meeting that you've designed. This is a meeting that you've commanded. We have received a summons from you to appear here. And Lord, now as our Father, you'd like to share yourself with us, your sons and daughters. And we're excited to have that. We pray, Lord, that you'd give us eager and open hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're in our second week of a new series. It's in 1 Peter. It's called Keep Going because the book of 1 Peter is largely about um, how do we persevere in trials? How do we keep going faithfully following Christ? That's what the original audience of this letter was dealing with. They were dealing with persecution and difficulty. And so that's what we're looking at in this book. And last week we looked at the, the greeting, how he greeted the people. And it was mainly about who we are as Christians. It was, he describes his recipients in a really long description in verses 1 and 2. In this, he transitions now from a greeting to praise. You can see he starts with, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a, it's a calling of us to praise. There's actually no commands in this text here. It's not telling you to do any particular thing. But what he is saying is he's saying that, the, that God ought to be praised. And specifically, which person of the Trinity? It's the Father, right? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Last week we saw how all three persons of the Trinity have eternally conspired to love and save you. Now he specifically wants to direct us to worship the Father. And he says, praise be to the Father. And actually, guys, praise is a very important part of keeping going, right? Um, Our life of praise is integral to how we are going to persevere. He's calling us to praise the Father. And so you might ask yourself, well, why should we praise the Heavenly Father? Why should we praise Him? What fuels it? What do we say while we praise Him? And what he does in this text, in these three verses, is he gives three things that earthly fathers are called to do, but that our Heavenly Father does better. So that's what we're going to see in these three verses. There's three things that earthly fathers do, but our heavenly father does better. Can you see them? Take a look and if you can see them. The first one is, is that your father gave you life. Look at verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So the first one is, we should praise him because he has given you life. Earthly fathers um, give their kids life. Which is really weird when you think about it. I don't know if you've thought about this before, but like when you kind of decide that it's time to have a family or whatever, you're deciding to have a human being that will live on forever. Is that a trip? You thought, well, I just want it because they're cute, or, you know, I thought it would say something neat about me, or it would be so nice to have. And it's like, when a person says, you know, I was thinking of starting a family, they're thinking, I think it'd be a good idea to create another human being that will live on forever. No pressure. Okay, no pressure at all. But that's your first birth, and of course God gives that first birth to everyone. But, but Peter's not talking about your first birth here, is he? He's talking about your second birth. Look at it again. It says, he has caused you to be born again. So this is your spiritual life. This is your second birth. This is what we call regeneration, when you went from spiritual death to spiritual life. And he's saying we should praise the Father for giving that to us. Every human being, by virtue of their first birth, God is their creator, right? Right? 
But only those who have been born again, who have trusted in Jesus Christ, is God their Father. I think a lot of times we talk about, you know, the, the, that everybody, that God's everybody's Father and stuff like that. The Scriptures don't speak that way. They speak of the first birth, God is your Creator. Through the second birth, He's your Father. And it's so cool here because it says that He did it not out of your merit, but out of His mercy. It says, according to His mercy, He's caused you to be born again. Um, and it costs the Father a lot to do this. I think in our culture, a lot of people kind of forego having children. Not you guys, that's for sure. But um, a lot of people in our culture forego having children because they think of like financial costs or relationship costs in the marriage or uh, time costs or even physically costs your bodies, right? Um, it costs the father a lot to give you this second birth. It costs him the death of his own son. You see that in verse 3. It says he caused us to be born again through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That death part at the end shows you the great cost with which the father um, paid to have you be born again. Um, and the reason is simple. Our sins made us unadoptable by God. You guys realize that? Our sins put us in a state where we became uh, criminals to God as judge. So we went from he's creator, we're creatures, and then we went through our sin, we became criminals to a judge, and we were unadoptable by God. And so what God the Father had to do first was to pay the adoption price, to remove our guilt so that he could receive us into his family. The cross is ultimately about adoption, as we saw when we were in Galatians, right? And so he paid this through the death of his own son. On the cross, Jesus Christ took your place as a criminal before a judge so that you could take Jesus' place as his sons and daughters. Isn't that amazing? That's the gospel. The gospel is, is that God himself paid the price to adopt you and have you as his own. And if you trust in him, he receives you and will be your father. And then Jesus, of course, rose from the dead three days later. He ascended back into his heavenly home with his Father. And he's saying in this text that it's the same power that raised Jesus from, the phys from physical death is the same power that he had to use to raise you from spiritual death. And he gave you that new birth. It says he caused us to be born again through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That that same power to raise Jesus from physical death to physical life is the same power at work in, in raising you to new life. To cause you to be born again. Notice also that you're born again to what? A living hope, right? In verse 3. Born again to a living hope. Guys, we live in a culture that's hopeless. I think a lot of times if you're, you know, say in a Christian family or you kind of just mainly hang around your Christian friends, or you're mainly kind of in the church, um, you don't sense it to the degree that people do that are outside of it. A friend of mine um, Bo, he's a police officer, and one of the things he said is he, when he first started, he was first out on the street, is he goes, man, this world is dark. You know, he, and he had been, you know, because of the kind of friends he had and the church environment he had and stuff like that, he didn't realize, like, this is a hopeless world. This is a dark world. Um, which is strange because we're a culture of so much material prosperity, we have so much safety, and we have so many comforts, and yet we're lacking hope. I was listening to a podcast that was about kind of our cultural condition right now, and he was saying, he summed it up this way, he said, we have great coffee but no meaning. You know, like the, our culture, we have the, everything we could want except we don't have meaning and we don't have hope in our culture. Great coffee but no meaning. I don't think we want to trade meaning for coffee. <laughs> no, we like coffee, but it doesn't give you meaning. And in our culture, guys, the second leading cause of death in men under 35 is suicide. You guys realize that? There was a pastor just recently, real close to us here, 
um, that committed suicide. It's the leading, second leading cause of death of men under 35 is suicide. The first one is unintended accidents. Many of those are actually drug overdoses. So if you would clump all those together, it, men under 35, many of them are dying because of a lack of hope. Lack of hope. Many walk through life in kind of low-grade despair because our culture is a culture where it's very hard to hold on to hope. It's almost a hope-stealing culture. I mean, I find it very hard, and I'm in the Scriptures a lot, mostly because I have to be, (laughs) but also to feed my own soul. And I find it, too, that hope is hard to hold on to. We live in a culture that, that steals our hope. It's as if, you know, there's a, a huge black hole that wants to suck in every bit of hope it finds and destroy it. Our culture's like that. We feel it as Christians, don't we? Do you feel it? I feel it every day. I feel, you know, I get myself kind of in the Word, and I feel this hope, and I feel strength and all that, and then I go out, and it's this, there's a force of hopelessness just sucking it right out of me. It doesn't take much to, to, to pull it away. And right in this very dark world, it says in verse 3, that the Father, according to his great mercy, caused you to be born again to a living hope. And so that's the first thing to thank the Father for. He's given you life. He caused you to be born again to a living hope. What's hope? Hope is, and Kenny did an awesome message on that a couple weeks ago. If you didn't hear it, it's on the podcast. Great on hope. Hope is an eager, confident expectation that your future will be better than your present right? Hope is knowing that your future is going to be better than your present. Whether it's your future in this life or your future in the next life, it's a sense for that my better days are ahead, that my future will be better than my present. And, and we need this. It's absolutely essential that we believe that our future will be better than our present, especially when we're suffering, right? The thing that keeps us going through suffering is knowing that there are better days ahead, that it won't always be like this. It's not just going to continually get worse, but there's going to be a future that is better than the present. That's how we keep going. And, and, and the better future that Peter talks about here is our inheritance. He says that we've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. What? To an inheritance. He calls it our inheritance. That's the second thing to thank our father for. Earthly fathers often give their children inheritances. Our Father in heaven has done better in his inheritance that he's given us. Um, in biblical times, what was the main inheritance people received? It was mostly land, right? Land was the inheritance. It was something that you um, could hold on to, something you could pass down from generation to generation. In the Old Testament, the promised land was called the people's inheritance, that God had an inheritance for the Israelites, and it was the promised land. And it was the inheritance of them as a whole people, But then it was also an inheritance for them as personal little families, right? He had little spots put out for tribes and for clans and for families. There was a little piece of land that was their inheritance. And so as they're traveling to the promised land through their wilderness wanderings, they were going to come to a land and there was a piece of land, a piece of that inheritance with their name on it. And now, guys, we know from the New Testament that there's a better promised land coming, right? Your inheritance, There is a land coming. Read about it in Revelation 21 and 22. And your inheritance is there. There is a portion of that land to come that is yours, that has your name on it. It's your inheritance. Why do I emphasize the your? Take a look at verse um, 4 again. Look Look at it in the middle of it, or the end of it. He says, kept in heaven for you. There's an interesting switch of pronouns there. He's been talking about us, and all of a sudden he switches to you. He wants to get very personal with you. You have a portion. 
You know, just like those Israelites, we know there's a piece of land waiting for me. There is a portion of that inheritance that is yours. It is kept in heaven for you. That word kept there is a perfect, passive participle. Isn't that amazing? Did you know such things were in there? You're like, I don't know what that is. Well, I wouldn't know it either if I hadn't looked it up. A perfect passive participle is this. It's a completed past action of God that guarantees a future result. Okay, now you're excited, right? You're like, perfect passive participle. This is great. God did something in the past that guarantees something in the future. And what has he done? He has kept for you a inheritance, a possession of the land to come. He's kept it for you with your name on it, and nothing can change that. Remember the scriptures say that God is a God that the doors he opened can't be closed, and what he closed can't be opened. And so he has kept that for you, and nothing can change that. And you guys are like, okay, well, that's exciting. You need to know something more. You also need to know that that land, that inheritance of yours, is better than the promised land, and it's better than any land here. And I don't know if you guys all believe that. I don't know if you believe that it's better than any land here. But he shows us here with three words that it's better than any land here. And he says what? He says that that inheritance is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Let me give you a Bible study tip. When you're reading along and you see a list like that, put a little number next to them. You guys marking your Bibles? I think you should. Um, it's not adding to Scripture, okay? And it's not like your numbers or you thinking they're inspired. Don't get all hung up on that. But what's really cool to do is you put a little number next to each one. Imperishable, undefiled, unfading. A little one, a little two, a little three. What does that do? That reminds you, it shows you it's a list, and it shows you that all those things are describing what? The inheritance. So that's something really valuable to do. Any list, you know, number of, maybe it's my OCD thing, I don't know. But your inheritance is imperishable. What does imperishable mean? It means that your inheritance is coming, uh, that there is no death, decay, or dysfunction in it. That's good news, right? There's no death, there's no decay, there's no dysfunction in it. Um, everything in this world wears out, falls apart, and dies, including us, right? Everything wears out, falls apart, and dies, but not so in the land that you have. That inheritance you have is imperishable. Secondly, it's undefiled. Undefiled means that it is not polluted in any way by sin. Everything that happens in the world to come, in your inheritance, is something that's completely worthy of God's happy approval, right? It's completely unpolluted by sin. Guys, wouldn't you agree that everything in this world gets polluted by sin? Even, guys, and painfully so, our most treasured relationships, right? You think about the relationship of marriage and, 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 and the, the way that sin has caused friction in that relationship. You go like, what's going on here? That's sin. It's, it pollutes it. Or our relationship with our kids, you know, you get this perfect brand new human, and you, you want to have a great relationship with the perfect brand new human, and as they get older, there's difficulty. It's sin, right? Or even in our friendships. Have you just sensed that you just can't love people the way you'd like to? You know? I was re Tasha and I were reading this book just recently, Lila, and in that book, this, this woman, she's had a really difficult past, and she marries this much older pastor, and they're, they're kind of trying to figure out marriage, because they gets, both got surprised they were even in marriage, you know? They just got married kind of quickly. And she said to him, she said something like, um, she said, I, I, I have a problem, and my problem is, is I can't love you as much as I love you, and I can't be as happy as I am. You ever feel that way? 
You ever feel like I can't love you as much as I love you? And I can't be as happy as I am? There's sin in there that's making our relationships difficult. But guys, not so in the world to come. It will be undefiled by sin. All your relationships with humans, all your relationships with God will be perfectly loving because it will be undefiled. It will be unfading. Unfading, which means it will never wither or dim or lose its beauty or glory. Guys, everything in this world loses its beauty or we lose the beauty, the ability to appreciate that beauty, right? It either loses its beauty or we lose the ability to appreciate its beauty. Um, there was a big event on Wednesday. What was it? Big event. No, that was Tuesday. What was Wednesday? I was really looking forward to Wednesday. Apple announcement, right? You guys don't care anymore. I still care. I love these, okay? I love these. This is the time when Apple shows us the amazing things they've been working on in secret. I mean, there's all this drama. I'm so excited. There's tons. She's like, oh, Apple. Yeah, it's, you know, they make our iPhones. Um, I love these. I love them so much. And I come at it with an attitude like this. I'm like, tempt me. Tempt me. Show me something I have to have. I want to want what you have. <laughs> Tempt me. Like, I, I can't wait. I'm, you know, I'm working. I'm horse-fed. I'm working, driving my calls. And I, have a, I had a call during that time, and I'm like, okay, well, I could either watch this thing. Or, I mean, I'm that into it, right? You can watch it later. They didn't have anything that tempted me, which just saves me money, right? <laughs> but um, they've tempted me before. I mean, I remember when the first iPad came out, I was like, I have to have this. I remember having it. I remember, this is going to sound weird, but I remember sitting in the bathroom using it, because that's where you'd use it, and got to the point, like, I couldn't stand up because I'd been in there so long. I'd cut off, like, the nerve supply to my legs, too much information. They, they tempted me when they came out with the iPhone 5. I was like, oh, this is, this is great. This is a huge upgrade. Uh, iPad mini, super excited about that. But you know what all those three things are doing right now? They're all in a drawer gathering dust right now. I have a first iPad, I have uh, two iPhone 5s in the drawer, and I have a uh, first generation iPad mini. All in the drawer. Why? They faded, right? This is unfading. They faded, and they were dazzling. Have you guys ever been digging around in a drawer and run into like your old cell phone? It's kind of a sad experience, you know? You go in there, you pull it out, and there's a Motorola razor in there, and you're like, this thing used to be, but there were videos about this dancing in the air, you know? This was amazing, and you look at it, and you're like, what happened to you? You used to look awesome, and then you're like, you look terrible, you know, and the phone's probably like, well, you know, you don't look so good either, you know, like, but things fade, right? They fade. Everything fades in this world. Everything that we thought was amazing, everything in this land fades or withers or grows dim. It loses its beauty and glory, but not so in the land to come. You know, some guys, some people worry about heaven because it's forever, that we're going to somehow get bored or it'll be tedious or something like that. He says it will never fade. The, actually, the opposite is true. You won't decrease in joy in heaven. You will increase in joy eternally in heaven. Your joy will always increase with time in heaven. You say, why? How do you know that? Guys, God is infinitely beautiful. He is infinitely glorious, and he is full of unending pleasures. Did you know that about God? You think of God, is that who you think of? You think of like, oh, he's kind of a bummer guy. Well, you know, he's got rules and all this. Guys, God is infinitely beautiful, infinitely glorious, and full of unending pleasures. That's what you should think of when you think of God. Psalm 1611, David says, You have made me to know the path of life. Listen to this. This is how he describes God. In your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Pleasures. He's full of pleasures. God. 
That's who he is. And because God is infinitely glorious and we're finite, we can never take in all that he is, ever. And that's not just because of sin. That's just because we're human. We're like, you know, at the beach, the Pacific Ocean, and we're like a little thimble trying to scoop up the goodness of who God is. Anytime that you take in God's goodness and glory and beauty, it's just a thimble in the Pacific Ocean. There's always more. You could be there all day scooping this stuff up. And, and so you will never, ever grow bored the, the new world will never be tedious because there is always something new to see of God. You guys realize that? How do you feel when you're in Scripture and you find something new about the Lord and you discovered it for the first time? How do you feel? You feel good, don't you? You get this little tick of joy and you're like, that was good. I wonder what else is in here, right? Guys, you actually at that moment became happier than you were before because you discovered something new of God. That will go on forever. Okay, that new discovery of who God is and what he's done will go on forever. It will go on forever such that every millennia, you'll look back on the millennia before and wonder at how you could be so much happier than when you first got there. That's what the new world is like. It's ever-increasing joy because we're finite and he's infinite. You're never going to come to a point where you looked at God and went, seen him, what else is there to do around here? No, constant amazement. And I don't want you to think that somehow heaven is like some big worship service, and we're all in stadium seating. He's got things for us to do there, things for us to build and plant and enjoy. It's a community. It's a city, talks about in Revelation. But the thing that makes it hum with joy is that there is an infinitely glorious, infinitely beautiful, infinitely desirable God with unending pleasures that you're just receiving all the time. And you're just like, I thought I was happy before. I'm way happier now because look what I saw. You know, it's just going to be amazing. This place, this inheritance of you will, ne- will never lose its excitement, pleasure, taste, charm, fascination, glory, or beauty because those things never run out in God. And heaven is about being with God, right? That's the inheritance you have. You will always see something more in him and something more to enjoy. So praise your father because he's given you inheritance. Third, verse 5. Who are being, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Third reason to praise your father is that he gives you what? What is it? Open book. Do it. Look. Go. Verse 5. What does he give you? Do it. What is it? What's the word? Salvation by He's guarding us, right? You guys see that? Who, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed. Yes, that's the right answer, that he gives us salvation. The thing that I was aiming at here, though, is that he guards us through faith to get to it. As earthly fathers give their kids protection, they should, but our heavenly father has done better. And we need that protection. This isn't protection we don't need. We need this protection. We saw in verse 4 that our inheritance is kept safe, right? It's kept safe by God in heaven. It's kept for us. It's reserved for us in heaven. Verse 5 says that it's a salvation ready to be revealed. So that inheritance is safe for us. It's in heaven. But what about us? I know the inheritance is safe, but am I safe? That's the question. Because there's two ways that your hope could get hijacked here. One of them is, is that, you know, there's a timeline. You live faithfully as a Christian, trusting in Christ your whole life. You get to the end and there's no inheritance. There's nothing there. Nothing he promised. It's not there. That's not going to happen. He's kept it in heaven for you. The other way it could be hijacked, though, is that you don't make it here, right? That you lose your faith. That you become unbelieving. 
But you swerve away from the Lord, right? That's the other way it could go wrong. We could fail to make it faithfully to the end and forfeit our inheritance like Esau. He became unbelieving and he traded it for the things of this world. Yeah, and you might be thinking like, Eric, you know, I don't so much worry about my inheritance being there when I get there. I'm worried about being able to get there. Because through the difficulties in this world and the way the world sucks away my hope, I don't know if I can hang on. I don't know if I can make it faithfully to the end. You guys might relate to you two lyrics that say this. Don't know if I can hold on. I don't know if I'm that strong. I don't know if I can wait that long until the colors go flashing and the lights go on, which I think is an awesome image. Then there will be no time of sorrow. Then there'll be no time of shame. It says, I don't know if I can hold on. I don't know if I'm that strong. I don't know if I can wait that long. The original readers would have felt like that, right? They're under persecution, right? They might have wondered, like, will I have the strength to remain faithful to the end? Will my faith last to the end? A couple months ago, I was watching the movie Silence. Have you guys seen Silence? It's an intense movie. Um, I don't know if I've even watched it all. I don't think I could do anymore. But it's, it's about some Jesuit missionaries in the 1600s going to Japan, and they're underground church and all that, and it's just brutal persecution. And people being crucified, I mean, it was intense. People being put on crosses out in the ocean as the waves are coming in to drown them. I mean, it was, in, I know you're wondering, like, why do you watch this stuff? Like, I don't know. It was a really well done movie, though. But um, I'm watching it, and I'm thinking, would I be able to do that? You wonder that? You wonder, like, would my faith remain strong under such persecution? And this isn't a trivial question, guys, because Jesus said, the one who endures to the end will be saved. Right? I mean, that's what Jesus said. And it wouldn't have to be persecution either, guys. It could be, you know, would my faith hold up under cancer? My faith hold up under painful chronic disease? My faith hold up if that happened to people in my family? You know, would my faith hold together? Will my faith remain under pressures that are designed to break it? Will yours? And what's really great in this verse is that the Father has gotten you taken care of there too. Look at verse 5 again. Who, are, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. What's that saying? Saying your Father is making sure that you will remain faithful to the end. So he's not only got your inheritance saved here, kept for you in heaven. It's going to come down. Right? But he's also protecting you along the way. It's like, um, it's like you have an earthly inheritance, and it's in Fort Knox, and then you're being driven in an armed motorcade to go there. You know? So this verse about the armed motorcade, like he is guarding you. That word guarding there, that, that Greek word, it's no surprise it's used often as a military term, and they use it as two ways. It's kind of external attacks, like you guard the perimeter, but you also guard to keep deserters from leaving. Right? You're guarding from internal issues, and you're guarding from external issues. That's the word guardings used that way. And, and the Father does both. He protects us from external attacks. But he also, guys, protects us from desertion, which is something that we need, right? If you're a Christian today, if you're trusting in Jesus Christ, and by the way, all this only applies to if you're trusting in Jesus Christ. If you're trusting in him, he is guarding you from falling away. And it says he's doing it, verse 5, by his power. How powerful is God? All powerful, right? Let's think of a little thing he does. Okay, let's think about the sun, because we deal with it here a lot. We are a very sunny and warm place. Um, wonderfully warm, isn't it? Nice and dry. Um, the surface temperature of the sun is like 10,000 degrees, which you might think, I thought it would be hotter. The inside of the sun is 27 million degrees. Okay, so it gets considerably cooler as it gets toward the outside. It's so hot that it's 93 million miles away and can still sunburn you, 
Like that is an insane thing. And, it, and in the way it works is it's actually a, uh, it's generated by nuclear fusion as hydrogen's turned into helium. And you know, I'm probably as kids, you always wonder, will it run out? It has five million years worth of fuel left. Okay, so we're good. No need to worry about the gas gauge there. We have five mil billion, sorry, five billion years worth of fuel left. And it's one of the little stars he made. There's another one which we think might be the biggest. It's called Canis Major. What does that mean in Latin? Big dog, okay? Its name is Big Dog. And that one actually is 2,000 times bigger than the sun. So our sun is like nothing compared to this, this massive star. And Psalm 8 says that the stars were what? The work of his fingers. He didn't get his shoulder involved or his elbow. This is his finger work. He just makes them like this. He just flicks them out. Right? You're being guarded by God's power. And what way is he guarding you? This is really interesting because how is he guarding you? He's guarding you. Look at verse 5. How does he guard us? Through faith. Your father is guarding you through faith. What's faith? In our culture, we have weird ideas about what faith is. People say that faith is like it's a blind leap. Or it's a belief in absence of knowledge, right? So I believe something even though I have knowledge of it. Um, or like Mark Twain says, it's believing in something you know ain't true, right? That's the, the common culture says that faith is kind of a, a mysterious thing where you just believe something, you just have no good reason to believe it, but you believe it anyway. You guys heard that? That's not what biblical faith is. Biblical faith is not a leap in the dark, but it's trust in a person who has shown himself faithful. You guys realize that? You guys all trust certain people because they've shown themselves to be faithful, Trusting God's like that. We don't trust him because we don't have knowledge. We trust him because we have seen him to be faithful over and over again. Faith is trusting in a person who has shown himself to be faithful. That's what happened with Abraham, right? God meets up with him, gives him certain promises. Probably didn't believe in the beginning, doesn't appear to. But he kind of follows him along and says, hey, let's see what happens with this. Over time, he comes to actually believe in him because he has seen that God is faithful. The disciples, same way, calls the disciples, seems like they didn't really have a whole lot of faith in the beginning either. And over time, they see that Jesus is worthy of trust. You all have people like that in your lives. You believe them because over the time, they have been shown to be trustworthy, so you trust them. They've shown to be faithful, so you have faith in them. Faith is trust. It's trust in God because he's trustworthy. Faith is not a leap in the dark. And verse 5 says that your father is guarding you through faith. What could that mean? It means that God is keeping, God, the, your Father, is keeping you safe by keeping you believing. You realize that? Your faith is not generated just from within you. You do trust in God. But that faith, guys, is something that God underneath is empowering. Your Heavenly Father is continually using His power to guard you by means of faith. He's continually energizing your faith, sustaining your faith, all the way to the end. This verse says, for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So that's how we're going to make it. We're going to make it by trusting in a God who is constantly supplying, supplying fresh faith to us. And we are called to strive for him and seek him and to build our faith. There's all kinds of ways that we're called to build our faith. But ultimately, guys, it's God's power that keeps you faithful, not your own. And an example I could give is I like to, my daughter Ellie. She's nine. Love holding her hand. It's fun to hold her hand. I hope she keeps doing that. I don't know how much longer. Ah, anyway, that's another thing. But anyway, holding her hand. And um, it's important that she hold my hand, right? As we're walking along, hold my hand. But if there's something to guard her from, whose grip matters most? Mine, by far, right? It's my grip on her, not her grip on, on me, that's going to keep her safe when there's danger. 
It's the same with us. By faith, we must hold on to the Lord. But his grip is the stronger one, guys. He is the one that's holding us. He's guarding us through faith. It's awesome, isn't it? Isn't it just good to just know you're that little kid? And you're like, I'm holding on as tight as I can. He's like, yeah, it's cute. Let me do this, <laughs> you know? And he's holding us, right? He's holding us. He keeps us safe by keeping us believing no matter what happens. And that's what we need to hear in, 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 in uh, suffering. So praise your father for three reasons. He's given you life. He's given you inheritance. And he's guarding you through faith. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why. And that joy, guys, that joy that you have in that is what keeps you going. Let me read verse 6 real quick. I'm not going to dig into it, but it says this. In this, what I just described, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. We're going to dig into that next week. We're going to see how joy and sorrow can coexist, how Paul talks about we're sorrowful yet always rejoicing. How does that work? How does joy in the gospel actually keep us going? But I want to draw your attention to something before we leave, and that's this. You already know that works. Do you feel a little more hopeful than you did 30 minutes ago? Do you feel more faith than you did 30 minutes ago? Right? Do you feel more joy than you felt 30 minutes ago? Do you feel like you could keep going a little more than you did 30 minutes ago? That's how it works. He says, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while. The Lord keeps us going through his word. And the Lord keeps us going through his sacraments. And we're going to take the Lord's Supper. Um, if the Father has caused you to be born again to a living hope, then he is inviting you to take the Lord's Supper this morning. Have you done that? Have you trusted in Jesus as your own Savior? Have you, has he shown himself faithful to you? Are you trusting in him? Um, he has shown himself faithful, guys. He's shown himself faithful in what this proclaims. By the death of his son, his broken body, which is what the bread symbolizes, um, his shed blood, which is what the cup symbolizes. Um, receive him today. Don't just come forward and receive this as some perfunctory thing. Receive Christ. And it works the same way. Just as this is a gift from God and you're paying for this or earn this, he wants to give you his son as your own savior. Take him today. Confess your sin. Trust in him. If you have questions about that, ask us. But if you've come to trust in Jesus and trust in his father as your father. Come forward to the next song and you'll take the bread and take the cup. You can do it individually. You can do it as groups. Um, this meal that we're taking, though, guys, is an eschatological meal. Meaning this is a meal about the future. It's about the past. Christ dying on the cross. Remembering that. But it's also about the future. Jesus made it that way when he said, I won't eat of it again until I eat it with you in the kingdom. There's a certain kind of fasting he's doing. He's waiting till he can take a full meal. Not just a small bit but a full meal with us in the kingdom. So as you take this, remember the cross, remember what he's done for you, and remember Jesus' body and blood, and re rejoice to remember you will see him soon. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have just immense love for us. I think of what your son said when he said, Fear not, little flock, for your father's good pleasure is to give you the kingdom. I love that. Your good pleasure is to give us the kingdom. And we thank you for sending your son to do that, to rescue us, to pay that debt, to make us clean. We thank you for sending your spirit into our hearts to cause us to be born again to a living hope through resurrection power. 
We thank you that you've put forward for us an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading. Father, we thank you that you're guarding our faith right now. Even though our faith seems so weak and so ready to snap, Lord, we know that you are there to strengthen our faith. Lord, help us to draw near to you. Help us to draw near this week in your word to delight in you. Lord, help us to draw near to you in prayer this week. Help us to draw near in our just individual worship. Father, you've been so good to us. We pray that your kindness, your love would draw us in. We thank you for all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps. Thank you.